Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Chagiga, daf bet, page two. Well, we're on to a new Masachat. It's actually the last Masachat in all of Seder Moed. Um, I'm like a little emotional today, Anne. It's like kind of crazy that we made it here so far. <laughs> it's really, um, I gotta say it's exciting. It's exciting. That's that's it, my take. Yeah, it, it is. It's exciting. Uh, you know, um, we will be having uh, a CM on this already March 6th, God willing. It's only 27 DAPM. It's a short DAP. Actually, well, we should say 26. It ends on 27 because we start on two. Um, it's a very short Masachet. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to wrap up, I think, a certain type of study of Gemara because uh, we're going to get started with Yavamos, which is going to be very, very different than I think anything that we've done before. But more on that later. Um, just a couple but also, of- I just I just want to know before you go into the content here, I just because you said it's you know, such a short Masachet, that's why it's here now, right? Meaning because Moed is organized by size so that the last Masachet is the shortest because that's that's right, how it goes. Because based on topic, this actually probably should have appeared after Beitza or certainly before Moed Katan because Chagiga deals with basically, uh, you know, the special sacrifices that somebody needed to bring when Put they- it in Kachim. Maybe that's where it goes. After what? Kachim and Kachim, meaning yeah, the fact right. that it's Moed, the fact exactly. that the end, the fact- about Right, and it's a lot of temple. But um, but basically, you know, just to give some introduction and to frame this Masachat, so we know that there is, you know, basically a mitzvah that three times a year, right, for Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, uh, Jewish males, okay, were obligated to basically go up to the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem. And essentially, it's not just that you had to go up, but you actually had to bring a whole series of korbanos. I think we'll explore a little bit later on what does that mean, because to me, this is an interesting mitzvah because it requires a certain amount of money to participate. So that's one question I'm already starting uh, this Masachet with. And there were essentially sort of three different types of korbanot that had to be brought. So the first one was called an Ola Re'iya, right? Re'iya lit- literally mean like, uh, and the Gemara actually talks about this. We'll get into this a little bit about like what, you know, the idea that uh, you were Ola, you know, that you were Re'iya, that you're seeing uh, God. And so what this comes from is the Pasuk and Shemot, chapter 23, uh, verse 15 and verse 17, you know, reads, V'lo yer'u panai re'kam, right? You shall not be seen before God, um, basically empty, right? With nothing with you. Shalosh pamim bashana el Hashem. Right? Three times a year, all of the men should appear before Hashem. And then the this uh, the other verse says Hashem So it's sort of again the same type of basuk. It sort of reverses the order from the previous basuk. Three times a year, all your men should appear before Hashem in the place that uh, God chooses uh, on the on the holidays of uh, you know Chagamatzot, which is Pesach. Chag Shavuot, right, which is Shavuot, and Chag Sukkot, you shall, and and he shall not appear before Hashem, before God, empty-handed. And so, what the idea here is that essentially the person who is Ola Laragel, right, needs to bring what we call um, an Alat Riya, right, which is essentially uh, a, a a korban for being seen. Okay, which is a very interesting, I think, 
concept about what's happening. It's like a physical manifestation of this encounter with God during uh, the holidays. The fact that it's an Olah means that it's completely burned on the altar. But I want us all to think about as much as we talked about sort of the, uh, the uh, you know, orchestrated chaos of Erev Pesach with all the korbanos. Remember that everybody had to eat women and children um, as well. So just think about that. So even though we're talking about only men coming up, that would primarily be a little bit more around the holidays of Sukkot and Shavuot, because for Pesach, everyone had an obligation, women and children as well, to eat the korban Pesach. But this Olavriya is just something men had to bring, and it's burned entirely on the Mizbeach. But think about how many korbanos this actually had to be. This had to be quite a fair number of korbanos. Then we have another one that's called Shlamei Chagiga. So Shlamim, which literally means sort of a peace offering, and the Chagiga, which is, you know, where we get the name of the Masachat from. Um, and Shlamim are offerings that people do eat, right? So we will talk about that a little bit more. Um, but some of the, some parts of that Korban are burnt on the Mizbeach, the fats and the organs. And some of the meat is eaten by the person who brought the Korban, and he can share that with his family. And then some of the meat, uh, the chest and the right thigh, was given to the Kohen. So this is a type of korban that actually was enjoyed um, and was part of celebrating the Chag itself. Um, and where do we get this from? Like, how do they actually learn this? Um, so again, they're going to quote some, there's some psukim uh, like uh, uh, Shmot uh, chapter 23, verse 14, which is again, the same chapter that we mentioned before, Shalosh regalim tachog li b'shana, right? Three times during the year, uh, three during these three regalim, these three festivals, you will celebrate. Um, and so the idea here is that this use of the, of the, of, of the uh, idea of chag, chagag, of, of celebration, right? How would you celebrate? You, you need to celebrate. And the way of celebrating uh, would be through eating something. Uh, and that would be by bringing it through a korban and eating that meat at the Beit HaMikdash. And then finally we have, um, oh, and sorry. And, uh, and then finally we have, uh, a shlame simcha. So this is also it's a, it's a korban shlamim, okay? But this was based on the pasuk of v'samachta b'chagecha that you should be happy on, <coughs> you know, you should be happy, you should rejoice on a festival. This is from Devarim chapter 16, 14. And so the idea here is that there's a special mitzvah to basically uh, be happy. A little bit different than, and maybe one thing that we'll also think a little bit about is what's the difference between the verb of chagag of a right or chag of celebrating versus v'samachta of, of happiness. Um, and again, this is fulfilled uh, basically by bringing korbanot. Um, and so that, you know, so that, so you would basically, uh, you know, bring that again um, and you would, you would eat that. Um, and so, um, and what's interesting is, is that the obligation of v'samachta b'chagecha actually applies with every day of the festival um, so the, the Shlamei Simcha had to be eaten every day to fulfill this mitzvah, um, which is very, very interesting. Today, obviously, we don't have the Beit HaMikdash, so that doesn't happen. So we have other ways, which could be through meat and wine. Uh, there's a Gemara B'Sachim that talks about, we learned that in B'Sachim, remember, that women celebrate by getting new clothing, um, you know, things like that. Um, so again, so I think the thing to realize is the Korban Re'iya, right, ideally uh, should have been brought sort of on that... Uh, on that first day, uh, the Shlame Chagiga would also be brought on the first day of uh, of the Chag, 
Um, but if you didn't, you were allowed to bring it um, on another day. And the Gemara will talk about this more. And then we have Shlamei Simcha, which essentially are supposed to be eaten every day. So I think one thing I'm already coming to appreciate at the beginning of this Masachet is, I always thought of it as, you know, Erev Pesach as sort of this very, as I keep calling it, the orchestrated chaos of everybody bringing these korbanot. But I didn't realize, like, there was a lot of korbanot brought over these over these chagim. Um, and so, wow, Pesach must have been even crazier because you had the korban Pesach, and then the first day you had Ola Re'ia, and Shlomei Chagiga, and then you, and then after that you have the Shlomei uh, Simcha. So it, it's just it's interesting to see how sacrifice heavy though the celebration of these Chagim were, and to really think about that that's very different than how we celebrate Chagim now. Yeah, wow. This I feel like now I'm rearing to go to get to the to the meat of the Masachet. But before we do, I want to make a, a more. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I didn't mean it, but yes, I guess so. Um, I want to make a, if I may, take a step back and make a more philosophical, something theological kind of comment. I find it fascinating, and we could think about this all the time with with the chagim and the obligation to be ola laregel, right? To make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to begin with, right? The discussion is not unique. The discussion that I'm about to say is not unique to Chagiga, but here's the point. The idea of Re'ia that we are, and as soon as we get into the content of the Mishnah, we'll see there's discussion over what does this really mean, Re'ia. But any of it is already talking about uh, spiritual experience, religious obligation, connection to God through the senses. And those senses are whose, right? Are those senses ours that we are supposed to be seen, you know, in Jerusalem, let's say. And then, of course, the question is be seen by whom? And the be seen by whom is not really like all your friends and neighbors who are also going to Jerusalem to bring their kabbanot, right? It's supposed to be some kind of religious thing, right, where you're going to be seen by God. But, hello, wait a second, don't we always talk about God, we, since the Rambam anyway, you know, God not having a body. What does it mean for God to have senses? And... I feel like there's a whole like, and I don't usually do this because I, I do often enough focus on the halacha, let's say, but there's a whole backdrop here of what does it mean to have an obligation of re'iyah? And I feel like that question is going to follow us through the masachet. Yeah, I, I think that is a great question. And just the whole concept of a mitzvah being that you have, like, yes, it's about being at a location, but the language around it of Re'ia is fascinating to me. Indeed. So let's get to the, as I say, meat of the Masachet with the Mishnah. Hakol, this is, you know, Dafbet, Amr Aleph, at the top of the page. Matnitin, Hakol Chayavin B'Re'ia, Chutz, me. So if we have a list of everybody's obligated in this format, this style of Mishnah, um, of the way the halach is presented, we have seen many times before. Hakol Chayavin B'Re'ia, everybody's obligated to make an appearance. Maybe that's the best way we can talk about Re'i in English, right? But they have this mitzvah of the appearance, to, to make an appearance, except for the following list. Namely, chutz me, cheresh, shote, v'katan, v'tumtum, v'androgynis, v'nashim, nashim, v'avadim, avadim, sheinam mishukhrarim. Okay, we've got some more, but I'll stop and translate here. Except for one who is deaf. Now again, deaf, deaf, mute. We've talked about the nature of chazal's, the mishneic presentation of a cheresh. Shoteh, somebody is, doesn't have their mental faculties. I don't have a better way to translate this. 
Translations that I've seen are generally insensitive to the way we use language today, I would suggest. Katan, a minor. Tumtum. Tumtum is somebody who has neither uh, sexual organs, I think, or at least they're not manifest. Androgynous is somebody who has both, meaning, let's call her hermaphrodite, although there may be some, you know, room to discuss that once you're actually focusing on that partic- those particular halachot. Nashim. And I'm not really clear why the Nashim are coming after the Tumtum and Androgynous, but okay. The women are not obligated in the mitzvah of Aliyat Regel in this particular way of Re'iyah. Women are not obligated in Re'iyah, which we'll discuss at greater length at some other time. Likewise, Avadim slaves who have not been freed, and now we have the rest of the list, Hachiger v'asuma v'chole v'zaken this seems to be a different kind of list, right? Somebody who is lame, somebody who is blind, somebody who is sick, somebody who is old, and it, it means really like elderly, right? That there's an impairment or impediments involved in that age. It's not really like a at a certain birthday, that's it, you know? And then, and perhaps this is the most logical and perhaps the most important one, one who cannot go up, someone who cannot get themselves up the hills of Jerusalem to get to the Beit HaMikdash on his own legs, meaning you have to be mobile. You have to be um, able to do Aliyah Taregel from a, from a technical standpoint. <coughs> Excuse me. Eventually this cough will go away. Please, God. The appearance. I just want to talk about this Re'iya because, as we said, there's several different options of what this could mean. Right? So some... <coughs> okay. Um... Some just say that it's, you know, specifically the mitzvah of visiting the temple, and that's it. Like, you don't need to get more complicated than that. And that approach is, you know, popularized, so to speak, by Rashi and Rambam, Maimonides. This is not a slouchy opinion, right? It's a very straightforward bottom line. That's what it means. But then the Talmud Yerushalmi, which we're not looking at here, it takes it in different directions and says that the mitzvah of Re'iyah is really the mitzvah of the Ola. That's your data, what you said before. And right, so then everybody who's bringing that korban olah is obligated to appear in the temple because that's what they're doing. They're bringing an olah in a way that that unify. Uh, I don't know if unifies is the right word. Right, there's a certain democratization of what's going on amongst the Jewish people. If everybody, except for all those people who are not on the list of those who have to bring, right? But if everybody is bringing the same korban, so fine. That's the, the discussion on exactly what is this mitzvah. Not so much on the term re'iyah, but on the what is the mitzvah itself. Now the Gemara, I'm sorry, the Mishnah, is going to get into some of the particulars of the list of those who are exempt. Ezuhu katan. What does that mean, a katan? What's, what person has the status of being a minor? So the Mishnah continues. Kol she'eno yachol lerkov al ktefav shel aviv. Meaning a child who cannot ride on his father's shoulders to get up to Yerushalayim or within Yerushalayim to Harabayit. Meaning that's what uh, this is Bechabai's opinion that that's the stage. right? Meaning a child who is so young that he can't even ride on his shoulders for that journey, let's say. And Beit Hilalomrim and Beit Hillel's position is anybody who's not able to hold his father's hand to go up on foot to Yerushalayim. So I feel like there's a lot of different details going on in 
this dynamic between the child and the father and the difference between, you know, can a, can a child hold his father's hand or can he sit on his father's shoulders is, I think, really a different kind of discussion than can the child go up on foot by himself because of the three regalim. That's the whole idea in the verse that you read here, Dana, right? Because it says, and it says here, regalim, meaning you have to go up on your feet. You have to use your feet to get up to your shalim. So that's where Beit Hillel says, so he's got to be able to use his feet. He can't be riding on his father's shoulders. But Beit Shammai, Beit Shammai Omrim, kesef, kesef. Right? He says, when you talk about the the korban here, then that korban has to be worth at least two silver coins. Right? But the chagiga itself has to be worth at least one single coin. Right? Ma'a. There's one coin of ma'a. And Beit Hillel says the opposite, right? That the that the korban re'iyah is one ma'a, and the korban chagiga is two coins. So, listen. Here we're talking about Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, who very often take opposing views, where one is machmir and one is mekil. And the question is, you know, very often we just kind of default into Beit Shammai being machmir, Beit Hillel being mekil, and it's not so clear to me. That that's exact that, that it's that the line is drawn so easily here, because on the one hand we have Bichamai talking about a child who cannot even really walk yet, but can sit on his father's shoulders. He's not going to fulfill regel. Beit Hill says he has to fulfill regel. So who's machmir and who's mekel? Is it more machmir to say that the younger child needs to needs to go as well, or is it more machmir to say? The stringency is that he must actually make the walk himself. And then the follow-up is this value, the evaluation of the, the valuation, pardon me, of the korbanot. Is it one or two coins for which, you know, again, which is more stringent, which is more important? I, I don't know if it's fair to say important, but in terms of the value of the korban, uh, whether that should be the korban chagi or, or the korban um, ola, that's the re'iyah. Um this Mishnah is unpacked or begins to be unpacked in the Gemara on this stuff, meaning that's what it's doing. It's going to go through and say all the unpacking that the Mishnah didn't do of that list, we're going to find in the Gemara, right? Who's the Evid that's not Mishukra? Who's the slave who has not become free? And what do we do when someone's in the process of being free, right? All of the, use your two thumbs to figure out um, all of the Gemara um, analysis of the Mishnah. That's exactly what we see here. The Duff itself is not all that long, but that's where it really kind of is delving, right? And it's going to get there. You know, again, we have a section here on the um, on the Eved, on the slave. We have a section on the Cheresh, on the Shota, and the Katan. Um, and the Gemara is going to take it from there, meaning, as I say, it's not a very long Duff. I do think that there's a good amount of commentary on this Duff because it's the beginning of the Masachet and because I would say that these are concepts and issues that are not so um, common, I guess, in our parlance. I think, Yardana, that you made this point as well, because this is not how we're celebrating our regalim these days. Yeah, and I think also, you know, it's difficult to think about that there was a specific aspect of the Chag that really only one group was um, obligated to do and other people were not obligated to do. And I don't think we think of Chag that way now. Um, so that's also something that I'm grappling with. I just want to give a heads up. Tamar is actually, I think, one of my favorite daps of Gemara. So 
please don't miss tomorrow's podcast. Get ready. It's a personal request. <laughs> well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgman website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.